0: Welcome to this latest edition of the Freshfields podcast. Um, my name is Rafiq Bashour, I'm an antitrust partner and co-head of the firm's industrial sector group. I'm pleased to be here with two of my colleagues, Tim Wilkins, who's our global uh, sustainability partner, and Teresa Ellen, who is a senior tech lawyer in the firm. We're here today to talk to you about the challenges of management of supply chains. It's not a surprise to say that a number of industries have faced some real challenges as a result of the pandemic, and those challenges have led them to have to think and rethink how to best manage supply chains. Um, But this management of supply chains is is driven by a number of factors, and not only the pandemic, and we wanted to have a broader discussion uh, about what those factors are. What we are seeing in practice is corporates asking themselves three key questions. The first of which is, do I need more transparency and visibility around my supply chain? The second question is, um, do I need to localize or regionalize or shift my production lines? And the third is, what efforts do I need to exert to increase the digitization of my uh, practices and my production lines? The two issues that we'd like to focus on today are the interplay between ESG programs and supply chains, and the second, the interplay between tech and supply chains. So starting off with the first one, Tim, what are your thoughts on the interplay between supply chain and ESG programs that are so important and are high on the agenda of so many of our clients? Thank you, Rafiq.
1: When you're looking at the supply chain, you have to sort of step back and say it is susceptible to geopolitical risks. Many countries have been using sanctions to limit the ability of certain uh, companies' goods to move to another. That has led to various supply chain shocks. Um, and we see those shocks in the past. Remember how Japan was always touted for its just-in-time delivery supply chains. But when you had a tsunami hit Japan, that disrupted supply chains. And this is back in 2011. So then turning to how that starts affecting ESG, a trend has been happening of how to think about getting goods and services in the most efficient and low carbon way to various producers. So... In the case of the pandemic, I think it was even more clear we might need to think about localizing the supply chains before the whole business calculation was where can you find the most efficient or cheap (laughs) labor to produce your goods and to put them through? And as long as there was no geopolitical risk, you were safe. But the broader trend now for companies has been to try to think about it not only in terms of uh, a security around the supply chain, but also does that supply chain itself have risks on other ESG factors? And here we're talking about potential human rights issues where there might be child labor or modern slavery use. So I think that it's really important to put it both in the context of corporate business strategy but also to think about the social issues in there. But I'm wondering if Teresa can help us talk a bit about, on the European side, where we're seeing some actual regulation to um, enforce how we think about that supply chain transparency.
2: Thank you, Tim. Um, And there is indeed a lot of activity going on in Europe, both on a European level as such, but also on national levels. In France, there's already a law in place, And then you've got a number of countries planning to introduce a law. To mention Switzerland, for example, there's currently a responsible business initiative put forward by Swiss citizens, and there will be a public vote on it in November. Um, And they are envisaging a quite far-reaching regime where they say that there is a legal obligation to actually incorporate respect for human rights and environment in all business activities not only in relation to the the activities of the companies in Switzerland, but also for activities abroad. What's interesting in this respect is that they then say the obligation is to carry out due diligence of their own activities, as well as their business relationships. And then they also include a liability on that, unless the company can prove that they did their due diligence right. Another example is Germany and they are working on having something passed next year. That one is probably the, the farest reaching regime, which is currently envisaged in an international context, because they are also thinking about introducing civil law liability. But interestingly, they are also thinking about introducing fines, and that's something which, for example, France hasn't introduced. And there's also currently discussion whether it's only in relation to Tier 1 suppliers or potentially the whole chain down and that's actually something which could have quite an impact um, as regards the transparency requirements.
0: And, And Tim, how does that compare to initiatives in the US? So
1: statewide in California, for example, there's a California Transparency Act, which is passed back in 2010 and it looks and says if you are a company that has gross receipts over a hundred million dollars they are looking to see if you have and i'll just quote it says conspicuously and easily understood links in the supply chain to a potential human rights violation typically we're looking again at child labor or um, so-called modern slavery um, But the local pieces are also interesting if you look at a city level where there might not be a specific regulation in place, but you see cities moving to encouraging the so-called circular economy. We just, um, in New York City, worked with several partners to talk about how can a city structure work such that the goods and services can be sourced locally, which has a lot of positive effects for companies who are interested in reducing inequality, for example. If you have local suppliers, you're much more likely to use local and smaller owned businesses. But the big, what I have to call Rafiq, the $15 trillion elephant in the room in the US is the investor community. So you have seen Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, make many important pronouncements to say, we are looking as an investor at your supply chains to see how robust they are, but also how transparent they are in making sure there are not these type of human rights violations. And they will move their money out of companies that don't have that type of rigorous supply chain. So um, the forces in the U.S. are strong, but not coming from the federal level.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because this has two angles to it. To my mind, there's there's obviously the ethical angle, which comes first, and then there's the business angle, which is uh, very much linked to what you mentioned, particularly for public companies that are out there to seek financing. And where do they get that financing from if they're not compliant and not seen to be doing the right thing? I mean, we've also seen some initiatives in Europe of governments um, wanting to localize the supply chain of a particular product and therefore also granting certain uh, subsidies for um, the production to be localized, which is opening up certain opportunities for um, for clients that are looking into that. So, so I think it's, it's gonna be a very um, interesting few years uh, ahead of us in terms of how these various thoughts develop into, um, into laws and how to compare the developments of these laws from one country to the next um, because you could end up in a world where there's a certain amount of forum shopping as to where to place your production. I think that the second topic um, that we wanted to tackle today is, again, the interplay between digital, the digitization world um, and, um, and supply chains. And Teresa, maybe I'll, I'll kick it off with you now. Um, maybe a, a bit of an introduction from you as to how do you see the interplay between the two topics?
2: Thank you, Rafik. The interesting thing is when talking about digitization and supply chain, you could ask why now. Um, The discussions have been taking place for a number of years already. And supply chain organization was already the subject of um, data exchange agreements for quite some time already. Companies now exchange the data and documents such as orders or invoices in a standard format instead of using paper or potentially incompatible formats. However, it's surprising to see how much still is done manually uh, without digital equipment. So for example, we've seen quite a few examples where the matching between carrier and freight is still done using pen and paper and post-its. Especially if you compare B2C and B2B, every one of us who orders something can track everything But if you then see on the B2B end, in the supply chain organization, you only have 20% visibility. And that, I thought, was staggering. And so there's currently not full penetration of digitization, and it's only a very fragmented landscape. And to, to drive that point home, only two years ago, actually, only two out of 10 companies had even started to digitize their supply chain. And then on top of that now came the pandemic, which then resulted in disruptions and in some cases, even in complete collapses of supply chain organizations. And so this has actually shown companies that digitization is no longer optional. And so now we're talking about predictions that say that by 2023, at least every second large company will be using some sort of artificial intelligence or advanced analytics in their supply chain organizations. And to be honest, I think that's even a very modest prediction from what we're seeing now, a company struggling. So I wouldn't be surprised if that number was a much higher when we are actually in 2023.
0: I was, I was just going to say that I think the pandemic has clearly accelerated the pace for digitization. Um, we've seen it across lots of industries and we, there, there are many, many articles out there about the pace that, of digitization. So at least a silver lining from the pandemic. Yeah, that, that's
1: so true. We're even seeing private equity investors who usually one would think have a shorter term interest in analyzing, doing the due diligence, has digitization happen in the supply chain, et cetera, actually quite rigorously testing those issues right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other major group is insurance companies. So here in the U.S., we had the wildfires And everyone is wondering how insurance companies are now going to start calculating the risk around that. And unless it's pretty clear that there's a very sophisticated, hopefully digital way of tracking goods and the like, um, the insurance companies are gonna just start pulling back and saying your business model in that particular operation flow is not insurable. And that can cause a real issue as well as a driver um, on strategy.
2: I think that that is very true, Tim. And and I think that the reason for that is that we've got two key issues manufacturers are facing and also the investors and insurers are looking at. One is transparency and linking that back to the ESG topic, which we discussed earlier. How can I comply with ESG requirements if I don't have visibility and my supply chain has more than 100 links and their digitization can really help? And so that's something what. Then insurers and investors are looking at. So when looking at the pandemic, where we had those disruptions, and also if you have access to real-time information, that gives you a huge time benefit to be actually able to to resource. Let me maybe give you an example. If you have a company sources a certain component from overseas, if you only have 20% visibility, you may know when that ship is going to leave the port of origin and when it is going to arrive. But you don't know what happens in between. You don't know is there a delay because of the weather conditions, is the um, component exposed to certain conditions such as humidity or temperature fluctuation, and then either the ship arrives late or with damaged goods, and then your whole process is delayed because then you have lost several weeks at least. If you have access to real-time information, then that allows you to see either to prevent the issue, because you can already see it, or then gives you time to react and rearrange the rest of your organization.
0: And Teresa, maybe a a question to you. Um, I mean, digitization, as we've just said, it's an element in being competitive. It can be an element with helping you being compliant and not taking on risk. And it's got many other benefits. Um, How do you get there? Do you get there through organic growth or do you get there through acquisition of the technology that you're missing?
2: I think it's a bit of both, actually. Um, The the key thing is that it has to be compatible with other systems, because if every company uses their own system, we won't have the right amount of data, because everything which is reliant on data analytics is only as good as the data pool available. And so one option could be indeed to have organic growth and there will be some things which you have to do organically and internally, but it will also require in part acquisitions and there will always be some kind of collaboration to ensure the acceptance throughout the industry. And that actually brings then on the risk side, is how much information do you really want to share and how much information can you share?
0: And that's when you need to call your antitrust colleagues. (laughs) The other
1: legal piece about this is in the new software development, a lot of channels are looking at that compliance issue because what we've seen in the ESG space is the hardening of human rights law before compliance was based on the naming and shaming that uh, consumer or NGO groups could do. But now there are so many different laws that actually are starting to come up. Software has to track all of the requirements to make sure you don't have child labor or uh, slavery in your supply chain.
2: And then we're seeing actually blockchain being implemented because that's something which allows you to record, track, and also monitor. And it also um, is quite... Foolproof against falsification, and it also allows you actually to prove your compliance.
0: No, indeed. And, and I think changing a supply chain, moving from one supplier to the next, is not a flick of a switch. Um, it can be an extremely long process, uh, depending on the component, depending on the industry. It may require qualification of a supplier. So it is something that requires uh, thinking way up in advance and, and a lot of planning and, and trial and error at the end of the day.
1: It's important
0: to keep in mind
1: that the pandemic is just acceleration of these trends that we've already seen, and that efficient management of the supply chain is going to be great for their business, but also a great way to show to the huge number of funds out there who are looking at companies to see that their ESG compliance is at the top of their game, and you won't be able to get there without an efficient supply chain. Now,
0: That's a very, that's a very good point. And, uh, and I think, look, there's a lot more that can be discussed and a lot more issues that arise from supply chain management. I think we've scratched the surface here. Um, I'd like to thank you both for your time. I thought it was very interesting and an insightful discussion. Um, And thank you, of course, to our listeners. Um, I'll just end by saying that we've got a lot more material on supply chain management on our website. Um, So visit it at freshfields.com and search for supply chain. And thank you very much. Goodbye.